Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. Well, good morning, family. Good morning. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord one more time. Amen. All right, I'm loving it. I'm hearing some talk, man. What's going on, y'all? Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Pastor Jerry Wilson. Everybody calls me J. Will, and I have the privilege of being the planting pastor of this young church, City of Refuge. We're a simple church that's seeking to call all to Jesus, uh, to connect all to his greater family and live commissioned as kingdom citizens. Uh, we've been going through the past few months, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, as we look at what does life together in the church look like? I uh, thought it was appropriate as a growing church, um, seeing ways that we are connecting together and growing together as we learn to commune together. Um, today we uh, end off an interesting chapter. If you were here last week, chapter 11 is a fun chapter. Last week we got to talk about women and head coverings and men and masculinity and all the fun things and uh, still having conversations around that passage uh, today we get a more milder uh, ending of this text, but still uh, not necessarily the easiest to chew on, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> but it is still about us unifying in our worship. And our sermon today is called A Unifying Meal. Um, as we prepare to dive in, I want you to imagine um, that you and your family are gathering for, to celebrate a monumentous event. Uh, maybe it's the marriage of a family member, or it's graduation from high school or college, or maybe it's the birthday of the oldest member of your family. And you just, you pick something, fill in the blank, whatever you would think would be monumentous as a reason to gather together as a family, you just put it blank there. But everyone is supposed to bring something to share from food and drinks, or maybe if you can't cook, you're that family member who brings uh, ice. It's okay. We all have those family members. Maybe we are those family members. But it is meant to be a time to celebrate. It's meant to be a time to be together and celebrate this event over a great meal and with the family that you love so deeply. But in every family, there's always those certain members who don't come with nothing, don't come with nothing to share, but they love to come and eat and drink, maybe get a couple to-go plates, and they eat everything, and sometimes they even leave people in your hungry, hungry. People in your family hungry. It's because of their, their greed and selfishness. They always take more than they brought in, and they never leave anything for those who actually came to celebrate. Now, would you be upset? And, and, and if you are upset, what is the main thing you're upset about? Is it because all the food is gone? Or is it because this person has desecrated what this gathering was meant to focus on by their selfishness? 
Family, I would like to submit to you your, that your frustration would probably be less about the food and more about the motives of the person's heart. More about the motives of why they ate all the food. Why did they come so selfishly? And you'll probably not want to invite them to any other family gathering. Because it seems that they're only in for themselves. Today, our text is meant to actually show us what this looks like in the church. If we feel this way about our own family gatherings, how much more should we feel about the gathering of God's people, the greater family? When we gather together, we are coming together to worship God. And when we come together, we do these things called ordinance. The ordinance are two things that Jesus has left specifically for the church. That is the baptism, and that is representing bringing someone into the family that they have been buried with Christ and brought in, brought back to life through his resurrection. So when they go into the water, it's them going into the grave of Christ. And when they come out of the water, it's coming saying, I have been made alive in Christ, and now I am a part of this greater family. And that second ordinance that's been given to us is the ordinance of the Lord's Supper or communion. Or as some call it, the Eucharist. Eucharist literally means thanksgiving in Latin. And communion is, in the root word, is common unity to come together. Whatever you want to call it, it is all for the sake of remembering an act that has happened as an act of worship. And in our text, we're going to see that some people are coming together, but not for the sake of worship, but for the sake of self-indulgence, for self-gratification. And they're treating this shared meal as their own means of being filled versus their own way of sharing in the glory of Christ together. Now, we're going to see this interesting word that plays through the text. It shows up about five times. It's a very subtle word. I actually skipped it a few times myself as I was studying this text this week. But you're going to see it in verses 17 when it says, Now, in this giving instructions, I do not praise you since you come together. The word come together is the Greek word of sacronium. I probably butchered that word, but go with me, is the connotation of coming together for worship. They're not just gathering because it's a good thing to do, but it's actually coming together for a purpose, and this purpose is worship. And Paul starts off in verse 17 saying, when y'all come together, I don't have anything good to say about you because it actually is for the worse and not for the better. Now, what's the problem Paul is getting at? He's saying, well, in your coming together, in your worship, verse 18, there's division among you. And I believe this in part. See, what Paul is getting at is he started off the last passage and said, hey, I want to give you props. At least y'all are coming together, even though you're coming together and you can't distinguish between men and women. Now he's saying, I can't even praise you when you come together because you're only coming together for your own selfish motives. You're coming together and being divisive. And interesting enough, it's actually necessary that that division is seen because It makes it easier to recognize who is faithful and who is not. Now, what was this division that Paul was pointing at? Well, he was pointing at the division of the Lord's Supper. 
You see, in the Lord's Supper, as the saints were supposed to be coming together, the share of this common bread representing the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and saying, this is the body that was broken on my behalf, this is the blood that was shed on my behalf, so that I could find life in him, people were coming together as though they were coming to a social club and eating their fill and leaving the poor hungry. They were desecrating the very fact of what the Lord's Supper is supposed to represent. So in verses 17 through 22, we're going to see that the Lord's Supper is supposed to distinguish and unify the church. So he's saying, you're coming together in your gatherings of worship, and you're, there's problems in this gathering of worship because you're all divided. And even in their improper usage of what they're coming together to do, the Lord's Supper is such a great marker because it's still indicating who's in and who's out, even when done incorrectly. Why do I say that? Well, we'll see in a few, a few verses later that the Lord's Supper, those who are doing it faithfully with hearts lifted before God, he is showing that his hands is on them, and those who are lying in the church, it is showing that they are actually suffering consequences. But before we get there, look at verses 20 and 22 for me as we get into the crux of the matter. It says, when you come together... It is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Look at the meal. Each one who eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which you eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. Paul was pointing to a cultural issue. See, in the Corinthian culture, they always wanted to elevate who was poor, who was rich. And the way they elevated who was poor and who was rich is the poor would gather together, have these parties together, and they would make sure they would not invite the, I mean, the, the rich would gather together and, and, and commune and eat together, and they would make sure they would not invite the poor in. So now it has started to infiltrate the church and the rich are bringing their food in, but they're bringing their food in for their gratification, and they're making sure that those who are coming to the table who may not have as much as them is not getting to eat or drink from the table. And Paul says this points to two issues. You despise the church of God, and you humiliate those who have nothing. John Piper says the implications is this. When you come together as a church, the spirit and demeanor of the gathering should be one of focus on the Lord and sensitivity to the needs of others, not carelessly eating or drinking. This is one of the reasons that the way we do the Lord's Supper is so lean. Paul really did distinguish it from eating and drinking as we do for our ordinary needs. And Paul, what John Piper was getting to is the way we do the Lord's Supper is not like a normal meal where we eat and indulge and we fill ourselves up. But the way we do the Lord's Supper is a sacrificial meal where we come and we eat a portion and we remember what was done for us. And this remembrance of what is done for us is to remind us of the love that Christ has had for his church. And as he, we're reminded of the love that Christ has had for his church, it's to remind us of our love that we have for each other. But when we mistreat the Lord's Supper and when we mistreat the worshiping of God, we 
end up breaking two of the Lord's great command, great, great commands. Now, what are the two great commands that the Lord has left us? But Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, verse 37 through 40, he says to them, love the Lord, <laughs> love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law of the prophets depend on these two commands. Family, when they were coming together and not worshiping God in the sacrificial way that the, the communion elements were left for us as a remember of sacrifice, as a remembrance of what's been left for us, they were forgetting their love for God. They were making it mean nothing but their own selfish means of being filled. And if they forgot their love for God, it entails that they will forget their love for each other. If you don't understand how to sacrifice, how to live a life of sacrifice because God loves you, you will never know how to sacrifice for the sake of others. You will never know how to actually love those around you. Paul was saying, when y'all come together, there is no love in the building. Your worship does not point to a God who loves, but your worship points to your own self-indulgence, the feeling of your stomach. And hasn't this kind of been the problem all throughout the book of Corinthians? That Paul says, you come together and you want to be seen as high and mighty because you follow the right teachers and you have the right thoughts in mind. That doesn't point to love. Oh, you, you come together and you're suing each other because one has the means to sue his brother and sister instead of learning how to reconcile with each other. This doesn't point to love. Oh, when you come together, you're, you're practicing these pagan rituals or you're eating foods that is offered to pagan gods, knowing that this would be a problem for your brother and sister versus sacrificing what you enjoy. You say, I want to self-indulge on it. This doesn't point to the love of God. Men and women, you come together and you're flaunting your freedom. Women feeling because they're no longer bound by the cultural norms, they can be free however they want to and put off very displeasing or, or, or even problematic looks in the church. And men, you are acting less masculine. You're bringing in pagan worship to the church and creating distractions for all those around you. This doesn't point to the love of God. And now... You're coming to the table that was literally set, set by the hands of God. I'd rather you just not come. Stay home. Family, whenever we come to the church to worship and we don't come with our hearts and minds focused on worshiping God and loving him first and then come with the mindset that we're going to serve one another, guess what? You might as well just stay home because this isn't a place for your self-gratification. But this is a place for unification. And this is what the communion table is to do, to distinguish those who understand that sacrifice and to be united with those who understand that sacrifice, not to be a table to eat all that you can eat, to do all you can do because you are free to do it. This makes us turn our hearts away from God and inevitably turn our hearts away from each other. So why is it necessary for the church to come together then? Why, why should we even come together? 
Well, Jesus tells us actually in the Gospel of John, right after giving the Lord's Supper to his disciples, he says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is why Paul is making such a big deal about the communion table, because it represents love. And when we come together and we don't remember this love, then we can't show off that we are who we say we are. We are Christ. This, is, this, this table is distinguishing and an American culture, which is very individualistically driven, this is hard to understand because in all of the world, we understand that coming together, eating at the table together represents something so much bigger than us individually. It's, it's to represent camaraderie and family and, and union. But we come to the table here so lackadaisical, just saying, I'm just doing this thing this is for me. But no, we should never come to the table accidentally. We should never come to the table, or the communion table, focused so much on ourselves. But we should be coming to the table remembering what it represents. And Paul goes on to say, what does this table represent? He says, I pass to you what I have received. Look at verses 23 through 26 with me. He says, for I receive from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On that night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he gave, had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper and said, this cup is the, covenant, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Family, these elements that we take of is to remind us of something. It's to remind us of the covenant that the loving covenantal God has made with his church. And this new covenant in particular particular is a covenant that was promised in the prophets. Listen to Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament. He said in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 34, Uh, He says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. Well, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. On that day, I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. The Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. The Lord's declaration, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their spirit, I mean, be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their iniquities and never again remember their sin. What Jeremiah was promising in this new covenant, it is unlike the covenant that was given during the Passover. See, the Passover meal is to represent what Jesus and what God did in his deliverance of Israel from Egypt. In the book of Exodus, uh, the Israelites were taken out of Egypt where they were in bondage. But before they left, God said, sacrifice a lamb, 
but there's blood on the doorpost and the spirit of death will pass by your doors and will take out the Egyptians that are keeping you in bondage. Now, even though they were under the blood of the lamb, their hearts were still far away from the God who gave them the blood of the lamb. Even though he was still their master, their, his words and his ways were not on their heart. So we needed a better covenant, a new covenant, a, a covenant that's not just deeper than some lamb's blood, but the better lamb's blood, the one that would actually write his words and his commands on our hearts. And this is what the, cup of, the new cup of the covenant, the new covenant Represents. This is what the new blood that was shed on us, the better blood that was shed on us, the blood that was shed by Christ. This is why we come together. This is why we remember these things and hold it high because it points to something that was costly. It points to a Savior who came, who literally died on our behalf. Moses gave the command, Jesus came and carried out. Moses, he promised that God would deliver. Jesus came and delivered by his own hands through his own blood. By his body being broken, by his blood being shed. And through these means, he said, I now dwell not just with you, but in you. Paul wants us to think about what Jesus did on that night when he instituted the Lord's Supper. This meal was left to declare a major truth. The Christ, the one who created all man, who said he is our master, he is our king. He didn't come and tell us, serve him. No, he came and he served. He came and brought us into a loving relationship with the Holy Father through the means of his own blood, through the means of his own body being broken, through the means of him giving up his breath so that we can receive the breath of God. And when we eat this, eat this meal, we eat it remembering this one truth, that one day the one who gave up everything for us, we will sit down and see him face to face. Listen to this beautiful, this beautiful picture as Jesus is kind of setting the table for his disciples in the gospel of Luke. Look what Jesus promises his disciples and the same promise is given to us as we eat of the communion table. In Luke chapter 22 through verse 14 through 18. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with them. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus was like, I really want to eat this meal with you. This meal that points to a deliverance because I get to give you a good deliverance. For I tell you. I'm about to eat this meal, but verse 16, he says, For I tell you, I will not eat again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And this is when he took the cup after giving thanks. He said, Take this and share it amongst yourself. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God come family. Jesus promised his disciples and he promises us and this is why we come to the communion table with hearts lifted up because we have a promise that one day we will eat with our Savior. We will enjoy a meal with our Savior and not just enjoy a meal with our Savior but enjoy a meal together with him. This is why it's so divisive 
when one people or one side of the church is being cared for and served during worship and the other side is being left out is because it's forgetting what the promise is that we will be together forever. We will be together forever. And this is why Paul says that Jesus commands us for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Meaning you proclaim the truth that he died for us. He died for us to have relationship with him and he died for us. And every time we eat it, it's a remembrance. He died for us and now we have this new covenant of blood and we are under him and one day we will see him. Do this as an act of worship. The love, the Lord's Supper is worship because it expressed the infinite worth of Christ. No one is more worthy to be remembered. It's an act of worship. This is literally what worship means. Worthfulness. No one is more worthy to be proclaimed. No one can nourish our souls with eternal life but Christ. So when we come together, let us come and remember and proclaim and eat. The great Spurgeon, he says that the Lord's Supper is also intended to be a communion among believers, bringing together brothers and sisters. And Jesus is the center of a circle. And as everybody gets closer to him, they also get closer to each other. Look at this picture. Jesus says, as you come and eat, come, come close, come close. As you come and eat, we actually end up getting closer to each other. So when we don't eat with him in mind, when we don't do these things worshipful towards him, we get further apart from each other. And when we come to church, even in the days when we don't do communion together, but when we come for our own self-gratification and self-help and to motivate ourselves instead of saying, I want to come and get closer to Christ so I can get closer with my brothers and sisters. If we don't come with that motive in heart, then we end up getting further apart from each other. And that is no way to live life together. And this is why Paul goes on in verse 27. So, so then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Meaning when you come and you don't eat in a right manner, you actually are guilty because you're saying, I don't care about Christ. I don't care about his kingdom. I don't care about what he cares about. I care about what I care about, and I only want mine. Family, this is the trap we all must avoid and be careful of. Why do we come together? What does our worship point to? Is it pointing to a unifying God, or is it pointing to our own means being taken care of? So we must ask the question, how can we make sure we don't fall into the trap of eating or worshiping in an unworthy manner? Well, Paul goes in in verses 28 through 32, and he points to how we must examine our hearts before partaking. Let a person examine himself. In, the way, let, in, that, in this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup, for whoever drink, eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And he even says, there's results, there's issues with drinking this judgment on yourself. He said, this is why many are sick and ill among you. And many have fallen asleep. 
if we properly judge ourselves, we would not, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Paul saying, when you come and you do the selfish act of eating with an unjudged heart or unexamined heart, you lie, you, you, you run the risk of getting sick, becoming ill, having many problems in your life. Some even, he said, he accounted it. That's maybe why some of them died. Now, <laughs> this doesn't mean we should be afraid to come to the Lord's table, but we should carry it with the weight of a, with a, a weight of wisdom, and we should have a weightiness when we come to the table. We want to make sure that we examine ourselves. My family, I want to let you know, again, we don't want to be afraid, but we want to be a people who confess. Repent. Check our hearts. Next week, as we prepare to take communion together, I would challenge you this week, check your heart. Ask the Lord, is there something that you are holding on to? Is there a sin that is besetting you from him? Is there someone you may have problems with? This week, check your heart. But not only check your heart, but confess. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Family, if you check your heart and you see there is an issue there before this holy God, we can confess. We could confess to one another. We could come to each other, confess and say, listen, I've been holding on to this. Can you pray with me? The Lord is happy to forgive us, glad to forgive us. Why? Because as we confess, we're actually drawing closer to him and likely drawing closer to each other. Again, this meal is all about being unified, coming together being reminded of the one who cares for us. So we must examine our hearts before partaking. But I want you to know this table is not a table of selfishness. When we guard the table, when we fence the table, not guard, but fence the table when we take communion, it's not because we're saying we are selfish and don't want you to come near, but it's a table of selflessness. A welcoming table of selflessness. And Paul ends off in verses 33 through 34. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, we should welcome one another. And if anyone is hungry, meaning if anyone has selfish motives to come to the table, he should eat at home. So that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about this matter, the other matters when I come. Paul was saying, listen, we'll talk more about this, but I want you to see what he's saying here. He's saying, family, we should happily come together to eat, not selfishly come for our own motives. And if you don't know the Savior yet and know how to come selflessly before the table, let me tell you about the one who was first selfless. You see, this is not a table of selfishness. This is not a table of getting yours, but this is a table of remembrance of the one who was first selfless, the one who was first welcoming. Paul writes in another letter in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says, but God proves his own love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This communion table reminds us of the one who proved his love for us even before we loved him. 
Even before we knew we were selfish, uh, selfish, he came and said, I'll be selfless. And I will love you and I will take on your sins on myself. And now we can take the sins of our selfishness, the sins of our ways, the sins of our own self-gratification. And we can say it's been acquitted and put on him because he first loved us. He first laid down all things for us. And now when we trust in him and we look to him, when we come to the communion table, when we come to worship, now we come closer to him and come closer to each other. Because the God of all creation, the God of all power first came to us. The God who promised that he would make us holy, the God who said he would write his covenant on our hearts, he first came to us. So when we come to the table and we declare, this is the God that first came to us, this is how we're reminded he first came to us because he came to us selflessness, with selflessness. He came with us welcoming He came to us loving. He came to us with his arms open, saying, come to me all who are weary and tired, and I will give you rest. Paul is saying, this is what the communion table represents. This is how we come to worship. This is what we come to receive. Rest from our selfishness. Rest from our ways, and we find strength in him. Strength in his ways. So how do you come to this table prepared? But first, you must trust in the one who was selfless, the one who did lay it down for for our sake, the one who died for our sake, the one who came from heaven, lived the perfect life, died the death that we deserve. He, you put your trust in him, and now you understand that this is not a meal that we partake in half-heartedly, but it was bought by blood. It's a meal that when we go to a restaurant and we have to pay for the check, this is a meal that's already paid for. And we come to it with a heart of gratitude and we welcome others to it with a heart of gratitude because we know what it costs for us to eat. How much more for us to eat together? Family, if you are his, the communion table is a place for you to examine yourself, remember what's been done on your behalf, and to come and eat and be unified to our Savior as he unifies us together. But if you are not his, if you have not, if you have not put your trust in the one who is selfless, then family, this meal is not for you yet. Not because we hate you, not because we don't want you to eat, but because we want you to know who, the one who is selfless the one who laid it all down for us. Next week, like I said, next week we'll be having communion. Uh, We would love to move to weekly communion in the fall. Still working out all the administrative things. Justin's smiling a little bit. His Anglican heart is happy. Um, But (laughs) we would love to move to weekly communion. But often when we do this, let our hearts not draw cold to what it means when we come to the table. Let our hearts be reminded that this is a table of love and not a table of self-pleasure. And let us know the one who prepares the table for us spiritually as we long for the day when we will see him physically in the new creation, in the new heavens, and the new earth. Will you look to the one who prepares the table and unifies us through this meal? Will you pray with me? Father, We pray today that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would show us 
our need for knowing you so that we can long to eat with you and sup with you and sup with one another. Lord, this would be truly a Eucharist, a Thanksgiving meal for us to come together and worship you. I pray today that you revealed your ways in this text today, that you showed the truth of who you are and what you are doing in your people. And that as we come to worship you, we come to worship with a heart of love towards you and love for each other and not for ourselves. So, Lord, as we also prepare our hearts to not just partake next week, but to sing now and give you these praises. Pray that you would receive our worship, that you would reveal yourself, and that we would love you and trust you more. Help us to pray to you, sing to you, and worship you in spirit and truth. Lift all these things up to you in your son Jesus' name. Will you please stand and continue to sing with us?